Welcome everyone to TransUnion's Extra Credit Podcast, where we seek to provide insights and not product pitches. Well, we're in August, summer is winding down. We're thinking about back to school, sports restarting. Maybe you're listening to this podcast on a final family vacation. If so, this will surely enthrall the kids in the backseat. Our last two episodes zoomed out a bit from the credit card and banking space as we talked about the regulatory landscape in June, then grilled our boss, Jason Lockie, about the economy last month. Today, we're back to cards, payments, and banking with another special guest, Rahul Gupta. Welcome, Rahul. And you and I have known each other uh, for a long time. I was I was thinking about this intro last night and trying to do the math. And you know, I still think of myself sometimes as early in my career. But then when I did that little bit of arithmetic, quickly realized I'm I'm not. But uh, probably close to 20 years yeah. when you and I were both at a, a company called eFunds. We're both excited to have you on because you've got a perspective that's informed by managing some of the the biggest payments operations out there. Uh, as well as working with some startups and and other innovators. So maybe before we we get any further, one just welcome to the the podcast. And do you want to give a little bit of a, an introduction to of yourself to the folks listening? Thanks, Josh, and and thanks, Craig. Nice to meet you guys and or see you guys again, Josh. After twenty, you know, twenty years. Amen. So in term in terms of an introduction, um, I've had a long career, um, as you and I know each other from our e-funds days goes back to you know the early 2000s but i got into financial technology banking and payments in the 90s actually on the wealth management side with fidelity investments working there for you know several years helping build out products and services on the institutional side of fidelity as they were selling to brokers and so forth and that really got me interested in the whole space. Did a, a startup in the B2B payment space uh, in the late 90s and early 2000s. This was a joint venture with several banks and tech, tech companies. It was a wonderful time, except the timing was all wrong during the dot-com crash. Uh, but it taught me over onto the tech vendor side of the house. And I really enjoyed that experience. Ended up going to a couple of public companies after that, eFunds, where you and I worked together for four years, which was a provider of payment services, risk management services, uh, data services, et cetera. And then on to Fiserv, which was uh, a public company then and is now. I ran most of the payments businesses at Fiserv over my 10 years there. Uh, and then my final stop was running a payments independent payments business backed by private equity called RevSpring, where payments which were going verticalized, this was a payments provider for healthcare. And so retired in 2019, and since then have been doing what I do now, which is helping earlier stage companies uh, as an advisor or a board member, or frankly, in any capacity that makes sense. Thanks, Rahul, and excited to to tap some of that perspective today. Um, before we get started, one of the things that that Craig and I do for fun is uh, throw a little trivia out to each of our our guests that join and uh, know that you you flew to a, an East Coast time zone from a West Coast time zone late last night, and it's early in the morning, so we'll go a little easy here. But 
you've had in in all those positions you mentioned the opportunity to live at multiple places across the country and and uh, now recently called California home. So I thought we'd throw a, a few uh, pretty obscure California trivia questions out there to see how uh, how nice. intimate you are with your your new home. <laughs> sure, they're, they're multiple choice. So the first one. In terms of U.S. production, 99.5% of what comes from the Coachella Valley, with the other 0.5 coming from Arizona? A, turquoise jewelry, B, dates, C, LSD, or D, terracotta pots? I don't know the answer, but I would have to guess it's dates. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Um, Off to a good start. So, Carmel by the Sea goes uh, to great lengths to preserve its unique charm. Which of these statements about Carmel is not true? A, wearing of high heels is forbidden unless the wearer has obtained a special permit. B, it was illegal to sell or eat ice cream in public until Clint Eastwood became mayor. C, there are no addresses as numbering homes just feels too big city or D, they're all true. I bet you they're all true. They are all true. You're on a roll. If it feels like just like what Carmel would be, yes, <laughs> exactly. So, Probably a so, couple other obscure things. Rahul, you're doing great because the track record of folks on Josh trivia questions is not good. Not good. <laughs> so it, this this is also probably a sign of how much he likes and respects you because he's he's made some um, some of the potential answers are clearly ones you would cross off early. So I I would take this as a sign of great respect that he has gone slightly easy on you because he he can torture people <laughs> I, don't, I don't know i don't know you're you're one question away from the the crown though for sure yep uh last one california is home to the highest and lowest points in the continental united states death valley is the lowest which is the highest a mount shasta b lassen peak c mount whitney or d telescope peak oh boy i don't know but uh mount whitney correct ding 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 Oh, wow. Okay. I think there that's a first on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, as always, I would not have known any of these questions myself. The uh, yeah, number three was tough. I, mm-hmm. I personally, I would have guessed Mount Shasta. I think that's the only one I knew actually before I looked these up. Thanks well, for for uh, being a, a good sport and playing along with that, Rahul. Yeah, that was that was great. So let's dive in some questions and really pick your brain and understand your perspective on some uh, questions that we have, but I'm sure uh, a lot of others have as well. So Rahul, many of our listeners are not just focused on acquiring and managing the life cycle of cards, they're very focused on extending the use of the card product or deploying new applications on its rails. So with that as background, what do you see as some interesting developments in the payment space? And what does that mean from a competitive standpoint or as a, a partner standpoint, if I'm a car lender, card lender? So I'm thinking real-time payments, bill payment, changes to online, mobile banking, payment apps, things of that nature. You know, I almost want to zoom up a level here first and think about sort of the technology revolution that is happening that is enabling some of these interesting things that you're referencing, Craig. Um, all throughout the two, you know, 2000s, tech companies, and now in banking and payments, 
there's been a migration or a, or an evolution towards cloud and mobile and open APIs and microservices. And these are lots and lots of buzzwords, which frankly, the industry is still sort of learning its lessons and hasn't fully adopted. But where these things are getting adopted, or the, there's lots of interesting possibilities that are emerging. And so certainly you see the leading companies like Amazon doing this in spades. And what this enables them to do is become very flexible in terms of attaching financial products you know, to other services. So in my mind, that's the big revolution today is as opposed to a big monolithical you know, thing that is offered, which is how when I was growing up, we constructed products and services you worked for you know several months, sometimes years, to bring a client live onto a technology stack, and you offered a very highly packaged product. And I would say the vast majority of financial services is still in, offered in that fashion. But today, with microservices and packaging and and APIs, you can offer lots of very interesting things. And so to get back to your question there, Craig, what this is enabling, what you see happening. You know, is everything from the revolution in data, for example, where you have, you know, real-time access to data flowing through the pipes, you know, throughout the payment system, and that enables personalization, uh, you know, which is immediate offers, which are happening based on your actual behavior in the payment system, not after the fact, not something that you sit down, analyze, you know, run through two months later and say, here, let me send somebody a, an offer in the mail, but a real-time card-linked offer based on your behavior where you are at that present moment. And so you see lots and lots of those kinds of behavior, uh, you know, those kinds of offers being attached to, to cards. You're certainly seeing very interesting enhancements to the data itself, you know, in order to improve back office functions, customer support, things like chargebacks in the card system, you know, which create sort of just friction in the experience. Certainly you're seeing an entire revolution in terms of activation or approval of your new account. So as you're, you know, applying for a new card or a new bank account. It used to be that that used to take months and that's still the default, at least weeks. But today, you know, it's all instantaneous because again, why? Because the technology underneath it, you can access immediately and do things like underwriting or do things like instant approvals because you can access people's uh, payroll accounts and look to see whether they're employed. So all of these are, you know, just using data. I, I do have a, uh, a follow-up question. Yeah. You know, so you gave a backdrop, and you actually mentioned earlier in the rundown of your career, sort of a vertical uh, payment opportunity or startup. But, you know, given that new folks are entering the space, there's perhaps more data that's available in joining the sort of the pipeline that companies can ingest. Do you see payments as a service 
as an expansion of you know card wholesale. So there's card wholesalers right now who provide cards for their financial institutions. Do you see going forward more payments as a service targeting vertical players so that they specialize? Totally. I mean, so I see that what's what's happening really is you used to have to go to a bank or a let's call it a financial institution in order to get a financial product, including payments. But really what consumers and businesses want is payments or other financial products to be available when they are consuming something else. So they're consuming, in my example, a healthcare service, or they're consuming, you know, buying something from a retailer. If the financial product is needed there, for example, a buy now, pay later product, you know, which is a financing product, they shouldn't have to go separately to a bank in order to go apply for that loan, so to speak. It should happen. You should, they should, the, the, the person selling you the product, let's say the, the merchant, should know enough about you in this day and age to enable not just the, the provision of the product, but the provision of the financial services. And it should all happen seamlessly. So the, the, the answer, I think, absolutely is that's the revolution with all this technology that I've been talking about is to enable. So again, going back to the Amazon example, Amazon not only can provide you an e-commerce experience, but they can provide you embedded payments. They can also provide you embedded financing if, if that is appropriate for you. Uh, and same thing for B2B or healthcare or retail or any other verticalized industry. So yeah, I, I see absolutely all kinds of new entrants providing payments and financial services because A, they need to and B, they can. Rahul, wanted to follow up on that a bit. And as you're talking about some of these new entrants, both on the the financial product provider side as well as the, the vendor side, you know, if I'm a traditional bank or credit union, what is it that I need from my either kind of the the incumbent players that I need them to do differently or or where should I be looking to non-incumbent providers as as this changes and and help me think about the world as I kind of watch all this go on and in the non-traditional kind of vendor provider ecosystem? It's a great question. So first of all, what I need from my incumbent tech provider uh, is, I, the way I would frame it is agility. As I, as I said earlier, the world grew up in an environment where systems were big and complex and monolithical, led you know to long implementation cycles and long contractual cycles. And you know at the end result of all that was you were able to provide a card product or a banking product or a data product or whatever the case is. But today with technology becoming more, nimble microservices, you know, in smaller uh, consumable in chunks, I need my vendor or my provider to adapt and adapt both technologically as well as contractually. And so that I can in turn, you know, become more agile and pr provide these services as needed, uh, you know, not only in smaller chunks, but faster and at point of presence or at point of consumption. And so that that's really my big need. And if I'm bound in a long contract or if I'm bound in a long implementation cycle 
but if I'm bound in a long, big, complicated technology backbone, then it's hard for me to do that. And so I need my my vendor to adapt and become more open and uh, and enable you know me to offer those kinds of services. And I'm curious, so based on your comments, if you fast forward five years or 10 years or whatever the horizon is, I think it's safe to assume that the, the actual technology stack or the services are going to look different for those institutions. But what are your thoughts? Do you, you think they're going to to get that from some of those incumbent providers? Are they are they keeping pace at keeping up or will the, the kind of vendor array look different for some of those those banks and credit unions if you fast forward into the future? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, Josh, the honest answer is I think it's a mixed story. Uh, you know, some are and some aren't, but it's hard to change both your technology and your business models that you grew up with. And so the adaptation is happening, but not happening fast enough. I mean, so what you'll see into the other part of your question, what do I need from the newer players is... I, the banks, I think, need to experiment with these newer players because the new players, you know, what they lack is scale. What they lack is banks using their products. And potentially, they lack, you know, sort of a real understanding of compliance and the regulatory frameworks that, that exist. And so what banks, I think, need or, you know, financial product companies need is to sort of experiment with some of these newer players and mix and match that with the incumbents. And one, I think that experimentation is good for the banks. And it's also good, frankly, for the incumbent tech players, because I think it forces them to adapt and learn and see the, the innovation. Over the last three years, we have seen an explosion in the fintech space of thousands and thousands of you know, great ideas emerging around these new tech stacks. And so banks need to learn to, you know, try these things. There's mm -hmm. the data side of personalization or or any of these things, buy now, pay later, that, you know, we've been talking about. And to that point, I suppose your, your comment on the difficulty of changing your business model and changing your technology is just as applicable to some of these banks and credit unions as it is to the, the vendor landscape, too. To totally, totally. I mean, it is. And look, the bank's business itself is changing. I mean, there's, you know, thousands of banks out there and credit unions. And my prediction is that these institutions will become more specialized. I mean, look, if you're JP Morgan Chase or, you know, you're one of the big guys, you can afford to serve everybody. But virtually everybody else, you know, will by force and by evolution become more specialized in terms of the end customer that they serve. So it's no good to say I can serve all consumers and all businesses and all small businesses. I mean, you'll see the construction bank or you'll see the bank that serves agriculture or you'll see the bank that serves gig economy workers or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And those needs are, are you know, you can serve those needs on generalized platforms and technology, but you also need to supplement that technology with very specialized things that might be applicable to healthcare or to gig workers. So to plug into those ecosystems. And so as the banks needs adopt, because they'll be forced to adopt, the technology vendors need to adapt. And they need it needs to happen faster than what's happening today. So Rahul, kind of building on what we talked about with prolif proliferation of fintech providers and new apps, 
We've had a lot of guests pondering the long-term value proposition of a bank or credit union. If you were at the helm of a regional bank or larger credit union, knowing that specialization is coming or is required, what questions would you be asking or what strategies would you be looking at? Yeah, so let me start with the strategies. I mean, part of this evolution, in my mind, it's no good just being a product provider. Uh, almost anybody can provide a card product or a deposit product. And if my thesis is right, frankly, you don't need a bank to provide that. Those kinds of products can be attached to a merchant or to a healthcare company or whatever. Uh, and you certainly have the regulatory framework which dictates things you know, that banks have to do. But what's the bank's distinctive competence? Financial products are still not only complex, but but you know have inherent risk in them. And so the role for a banker, you know, defined broadly, is going to evolve towards being more of an advisor as opposed to just being a product provider, right? I mean, certainly you must provide the product and you must provide the regulatory access and the framework. So it must be done safely, securely, without fraud. And those are not trivial activities. So I don't mean to minimize any of that. But in addition, what needs to happen as a strategy, I think, is for banks and credit unions, which are uniquely positioned to be an advisor to that end customer, whether that's true in wealth management or it's true in, you know, what kind of loan product should I be getting? The question is, and should I get a loan product? Is a question of what type, and you know, with what duration and what frequency and when should I pay it off? And, and today you have a rich trove of data and optionality available, you the consumer and you the banker. And so sorting through all of that and providing the advice, I think is going to become the new business model, you know, for the successful institutions. Do you think these regional banks, maybe not even regional banks, but, you know, enterprise banks, regional banks, larger credit unions will increasingly be going into the industries or customers they serve to be uh, hiring the subject matter expertise to essentially consult or advise to those customers? I think it's going to become essential, right? I mean, they're clearly, if you are a agricultural bank, I mean, you clearly don't need to be a farmer, you know, starting a, a farm yourself, but you clearly do need to understand, you know, what are the pressures in terms of, you know, global commodity cycles and so on and so forth. So I absolutely, Craig, I mean, I see that industry knowledge, that industry understanding as a key ingredient, or if it's a consumer and you're serving a gig worker, you know, you better understand what are the financial pressures and earning pressures and so on and so forth, uh, you know, an Uber driver might face as an example. So, yes, I mean, I do think that's going to become an essential component of your offering. Just one um, before your your final question, Craig, on the um, quasi personal front. But your your daughter is also in the the payment space, and she's a, a leader uh, in the space. And I'm curious, you know, thinking about all the changes you've seen and seeing where the industry is going, what advice would you have for someone who's you call it in the the first half of their career in the the payments world? Hey, I personally continue to be super excited by the space and all this stuff that's happening. 
in payments. So my advice to be, you know, the earlier stage folks, including my daughter, is that payments is just a critical part of the ecosystem. It's, you know, really getting into it and understanding how payments can serve all other products. Uh, Matt Harris at Bain Ventures, one of the leading thinkers in this space, says payments and financial services in general, but payments particularly, is really part of the infrastructure of the future. It's not a separate product. It's not a separate thing by itself. It's going to get embedded into everything. And just like in the old days, you know, you might have thought of infrastructure as buildings or data centers or technology or, you know, or your, or your uh, communication lines. Payments will become that critical or that important. And so understanding that and playing in that space, uh, personally, I think is just, it's an, it leads to an exciting set of opportunities. But then ultimately, the value gets unlocked when you can apply it not just as code payments, but apply it, you know, really in a rich way, embedded inside something else, you know, and that creating those new experiences you know, where the combination of uh, traditional service and payments, I think, is uh, is a fantastic future for the next, you know, five, 10 years and longer. Thank you, Rahul. Rahul, I have to say, I think you might be the first guest that we've had on that has looked more into the future and focused on how business models will evolve. Gosh, even I think touching on not only trends, but potential career opportunities for folks. So this has been a really rich and interesting uh, conversation. So uh, clearly appreciate it. The last question I have for you is, you know, given your position and given that folks are probably interested in staying on top of trends and where business models will continue to evolve. Do you have tips for folks to follow industry media sources? You know, said another way, what do you use or do to stay current in the space? Uh, gosh, it's a it's a difficult question. I, I listen to your podcast, Craig. I mean, that's how I, that's how I see it. No, but uh, but speaking speaking of podcasts, I mean, that's a good example where. There's an explosion of, of information available today. But uh, frankly, I think if you are a banker, for example, I mean, there are so many great sources available today, um, whether that's, you know, stuff that's happening in the media with payments.com or, you know, stuff that's happening with the leading vendors. Um, you know, um, and I literally have to sort of step back and, but at the end of the day, payments or financial products, as I as I keep saying, are just an ingredient. I mean, the end winning answer really is what's really happening in the lives of consumers and businesses in those specific spaces that you want to serve. So I guess my advice would be it's far more interesting. Frankly, you can today, if the vendors do their job uh and technology does its job, you'll be able to buy and integrate any kind of financial product. The real key is the imagination needed to sort of integrate those into that end consumer experience or the end business experience. And so I would say focus your attention on 
not just payments in general, but what's happening in that space, payments or data or risk management services in that space. And so as opposed to naming off the 25 things I read, uh, you know, because I am not in any specific space, I would say that's where people can be distinctive. That makes a lot of sense. It it absolutely does. Rahul, this has been this has been a great conversation. So I uh, just wanted to thank you again for your time today and your perspective on a number of things. Um, and uh, look forward to to seeing you soon. Craig, anything else you wanted to to comment on to wrap up here? Rahul, I I'll add on. Really enjoyed your insight. Thank you for uh, joining us and um, looking forward to see what the future looks like. Craig and, and Josh, I enjoyed this thoroughly. Thank you. Good. Thank you. We'll see you soon. I Well, Josh, that wraps up another podcast. Um, I got to tell you, I aspire to be like Rahul someday, post-retirement, still actively involved, advising, consulting, having your fingers in a lot of cool things, you know, and providing uh, guidance for the next generation of leaders in the financial services space. So, um, you know, that, that's my end goal. If people uh, in, you know, 15, 20 years need assistance, keep my name in mind. Absolutely. No, same, Craig. Same. Uh, well, thanks again for joining us for another episode of Extra Credit, TransUnion Card and Banking Podcast. We will be back next month with some new content. And in the meantime, certainly reach out to us. Let us know what's on your mind and what you're seeing. And you can email us anytime at extracredit at transunion.com. We'll see you next month.